legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Marco Vigato, who joins us to discuss his book, The Empires of Atlantis, The Origins of Ancient Civilizations and Mystery Traditions Throughout the Ages. Exploring more than 100,000 years of Earth's history, Vigato combines recent discoveries in the fields of archaeology, geology, anthropology and genetics with the mystery teachings of antiquity to investigate the true origins of civilization. Establishing the historical and geological reality of Atlantis stretching back to 432,000 BC, he traces the course of Atlantean civilization through its three empires, revealing how civilization rose and fell several times over this lengthy span of time. The author shows that Atlantis did not vanish in one terrible day and night, but survived in a variety of different forms well into the historical era. He examines the role of survivors in restarting civilization in different parts of the world, from Gobekli Tepe and Egypt to India, Mesopotamia and the Americas. He documents their colonies and outposts around the globe, offering unique views of the colossal network of pyramids, earthen mounds and other megalithic monuments they left behind. Drawing on more than 500 ancient and modern sources and sharing never-before-seen photographs from his own personal exploration of hundreds of archaeological sites around the world, Vigato shows not only that Atlantis was real, but that the whole world is now being called to become a new Atlantis and awaken into a new golden age. Hello and welcome, Marco, and thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Marco, today we're going to be discussing your new book. It's entitled The Empires of Atlantis, The Origins of Ancient Civilizations and Mystery Traditions Throughout the Ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we dive into that, just give listeners a bit of information about your background and work in general. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, originally from Italy, but I've been living and working in Mexico for the past uh, seven years. Now, I've been uh, interested in the question of uh, the origins of civilization uh, since uh, as early as uh, I can remember. And uh, for the past 15 years, I've been uh, researching uh, the idea of uh, a lost civilization of uh, the last ice age, maybe identified with Plato's Atlantis. Uh, and I've spent uh, many years uh, traveling around the world on virtually every continent trying to document uh, the evidence, uh, both uh, the monumental evidence, uh, the cultural evidence of uh, that uh, lost civilization. A result of that is uh, my latest book, uh, The Empires of Atlantis, uh, that you just described. Okay, we're, we're kind of going to do this in two halves 
Um, in the first section, we'll look at some of the archaeological evidence and um, archaeological dimensions of this. And then um, after that, we'll look a little bit more at the occult and esoteric dimensions because mm-hmm. um, there's some very interesting sure. information there as well. Um, I suppose the bottom line here is that uh, it's contained in myths from all around the world myths, legends, uh, spiritual traditions, there's this idea of a long-lost golden age is is just a global phenomenon. And the idea that there was an advanced civilization, we can see there were advanced civilizations in the past. You know, we look at, uh, you know, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, some of the civilizations in the Middle East prior to that. So that's accepted, but the idea of anything beyond that seems to be uh, plunges into controversy and people find it very difficult to accept, particularly anything going back, you know, beyond the last ice age, essentially. Mm-hmm. But, right. this, but this is a, an idea that just won't go away. And of course, there's been many crackpot theories and, you know, with no evidence whatsoever put forward, or which haven't really helped the, the case for Atlantis or whatever name you want to give it. But the evidence continues to accumulate that basically the the human the, the story of human civilization um, of, of advanced or relatively advanced it, it, it continues to to push back the dates um, further and further um, into history as Graham Hancock likes to say stuff just keeps getting older. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I think uh, it's a, it's a very valid point, and uh, uh, I, I believe they were still very much influenced uh, by a view of uh, linear time, uh, which is of course like inspired that inspired uh, much of uh, modern day evolutionary theories. This idea that uh, civilization is uh, on a constant uh, path uh, towards uh, progress and uh, evolution, uh, and that this has been very generally true, I would say, for the past thousand years, thousand years uh, or so, at least if you look at uh, the West. Uh, however, this has not always been the case uh, in uh, previous times. We find uh, throughout the world uh, many examples of uh, very powerful, successful civilizations that uh, went into decline and even disappeared or became extinct, uh, even without going as far as uh, the last ice age. If you look at the consequences uh, of uh, the fall of Rome uh, in uh, Western Europe, the Dark Ages uh, that followed, there are plenty of examples of great and powerful empires that collapsed, uh, giving uh, away and opening up the way to ages of chaos and turmoil. So uh, that's something very common. It's almost a pattern, uh, I would say, in uh, human history, which we are, in a way, ignoring at our own peril. Now, these, uh, this view, these uh, sort of uh, false uh, uh, sense of a linear progression, linear evolution of uh, civilization, however, is uh, very different uh, from uh, the worldview of many traditional societies uh, and many ancient civilizations and cultures that instead embraced uh, a view of time and history as uh, essentially cyclical. So they believed in the existence of uh, multiple cycles of uh, civilization, uh, 
um, hence this idea of a uh, golden age uh, and like uh, the, the the fact that the golden age was going to give way to a uh, silver age, uh, bronze age, iron age, and cyclical repetitions is this idea that uh, there have been prior cycles of creation, prior cycles of uh, civilization, some of which may well stretch back uh, uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. Yeah, the concept of linear time dominates all of our all our thinking really about about uh, reality, doesn't it, and history and the future. And of course, it appears to make so much sense because um, our own lives, you know, relatively short, appear to move from A to B, and you know that's one event follows another. And we look back in history and we see you know evidence for previous civilizations, and we plan and plot for the future of our own civilization. So the idea of i think the idea of cyclical events uh may not be so difficult for people to accept at least in theory you know that, that things do rise and fall we see evidence for that in terms right. of civilization but the idea of of cyclical time for many people is so counterintuitive you know that there, there only is a past which leads in into to now and then off into the future you know how how could a how could cyclical time possibly be um, a thing. Yeah, and I think we're surrounded by many examples of uh, uh, cyclical time. I think, of course, like of the, of the cycle of the seasons, uh, which maybe have been like the most obvious inspiration for these uh, like ancient worldviews of cyclical time. But there may be uh, as well some uh, even broader cosmic cycles. So this idea of recurring cataclysm particularly, which was, by the way, also an idea expressed by Plato in his Atlantis story, when he talks about the multiple destructions, multiple cataclysms of fire and water. And there is almost the uh, idea underlying this concept of cyclical time, of recurring cataclysms as well, uh, that uh, at very large intervals of time uh, would uh, cause uh, the downfall of civilization or the collapse of civilization, thus uh, forcing... Uh, uh, humanity to start over again, uh, as Plato also said, uh, to start over again uh, like children after after the great destruction. Uh, if we investigate, uh, in, if we look into the causes of uh, some of these uh, uh, cycles, we realize that even at uh, the cosmological scale, uh, uh, there are, in fact, uh, cycles that may have an influence over the course of life and civilization on Earth. One of those is uh, what is known as the precession of the equinoxes uh, that had uh, a key importance for many ancient cultures. So this idea that over a very long period of time, over 25,000 years, the sun uh, uh, completes uh, uh, a revolution of the zodiac. So from the point of view of an observer on Earth, the sun will be seen uh, rising in in a different uh, constellation with about 25,000 years to uh, the full cycle of uh, the 12 constellations uh, that make up the, the zodiac. But there may be even uh, uh, longer cycles. We're talking about uh, galactic cycles uh, as well. And uh, I think the effects of all these uh, uh, different cycles on life on Earth uh, on the course of civilization, they're very poorly understood because nobody has... Uh, lived through uh, one entire cycle. Our modern science is at best uh, 
500 years old. Uh, uh, so uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to get a grasp uh, of uh, these uh, very long cycles. And this is uh, where I think uh, we can learn uh, much uh, from the experience of ancient civilization that uh, um, even if we go back to the first historical civilizations of Egypt, uh, of, uh, of Sumer, they uh, preserved the records and traditions of uh, earlier cycles, uh, covering uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. So I think uh, there, is a, there is value in that uh, legacy, in that knowledge that has been transmitted to us from uh, uh, ancient civilization and what that legacy um, refers to and um, talks about is this idea that there are cycles, uh, uh, there are cosmic cycles, uh, first of all, that influence uh, the course of life and civilization on Earth over very long periods of time. Well, the, the earliest sort of uh, astronomers that we're aware of in human civilization and obviously we don't know really know how far back human civilization as we recognize it goes but from what we do understand they must have well they obviously had incredible patience you know without the technology we have mainly you know modern astronomy benefit benefit from computing technology you know the ability to crunch numbers uh which was all done you know with like on ink and parchment or however it was done clay tablets and in millennia gone by but the observations to, to, to begin to, you know, that, that charted the movements in the heavens, um, you know, what was also part of astrology. I mean, it just it took immense amounts of time in terms of human lifespans, you know, so the, just the patience and the vision to sort of carry on, you know, lifetime after lifetime, century in, century out to map the movements to eventually begin to say something about, you know, of the, the planetary bodies and, and what, you know, what cycles they moved in. So, and it, it's, it contrasts quite starkly with them. Um, well, yes, we do have a lot of this technological capability, but about how quick we are to, to make pronouncements about, about history in, in the modern era. We just say, you know, this is how it is. We've done the work and uh, <laughs> you can't imagine our current civilization in embarking on never mind uh, you know astronomical project but any sort of project really that would take life lifetimes we just don't seem to have that in us anymore right right no and, and i think uh, at the end of the day this uh, idea this idea of constant progress of, of linear time i think what that amounts to is a, a wonderful myth uh, at the end of the day which is a uh, which, and it has been repeatedly contradicted uh, by the evidence so one uh, excellent case in point uh, has been uh, just in recent decades uh, go back to Litepe and the way uh, the discovery of these uh, extremely important archaeological sites in southeastern uh, Turkey has really uh, upended uh, our view of history. We used to think uh, of uh, civilization as uh, essentially something that started in Egypt and Mesopotamia around 5,000 years ago, and now we find evidence. And, uh, by the way, it's not only Gobekli Tepe, but it's a number of sites now, it's over a dozen sites, southeastern Turkey and uh, then throughout the Levant, that show that uh, sophisticated uh, uh, human societies already existed as early as uh, the end of uh, the last ice age. We're talking about 
the time period over 10,000 uh, years ago. And what is extraordinary about a site like Gobekli Tepe is, first of all, it's sophistication. We're talking about a site that is at least 7,000 years older than uh, Stonehenge, so that, in fact, uh, the builders of Stonehenge would be closer to us in time than uh, the builders of Gobekli Tepe were uh, to, to them. And what you find at a place like Gobekli Tepe is incredible monumental architecture employing huge blocks of stone, uh, these uh, T-shaped pillars, some of which weighed uh, in excess of uh, 50 tons. So it's exceptional sophistication. You also find clearly uh, an attention to the sky, to the stars, uh, uh, hinted by the fact that many of these uh, structures are also very carefully astronomically oriented. And these are at a time when uh, uh, scientists and archaeologists, uh, uh, just uh, no more than 10 or 15 years ago, perhaps, uh, believed uh, that the whole of the human population at the time was still in a very primitive hunter-gathering stage. And now we have evidence that, at least in parts of the world, that was not the case. There were already sophisticated people around that were capable of uh, uh, conducting astronomical observation that possessed uh, advanced mathematical and architectural knowledge. And then all of this vanished, uh, um, if we if we were to believe, uh, again, the uh, findings from the latest excavations at Ecobekli uh, Tepe, it looks like by 7500 BC, the site was completely abandoned. It was actually deliberately buried. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, uh, how many more sites like Gobekli Tepe uh, exist uh, around the world? I think we have just barely uh, scratched uh, the surface uh, of uh, how many more lost civilizations uh, uh, may may exist or may have existed in the past have gone completely undetected. Yes, well, the idea or the fact that Gobekli Tepe was abandoned and then deliberately covered over, uh, some have suggested... Uh, this was to protect and preserve the site for future, uh, for the future. But the question is, well, why, why, why do this? You know, what was, what was, what was coming? What was the perceived threat? What was the reason to walk away from the site and, and basically mothball it? And, um, this plays into the whole idea of recurring cataclysms because some people have speculated that the, there was a, some kind of sense or understanding that, that some event was coming some kind of very large-scale event that would threaten um, the population, would threaten the site, and so they basically, you know, walked away from it after protecting it. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Gobekli Tepe is a very interesting site for, for a number of reasons, but one of those is this idea, again, of uh, recurring cataclysm. Gobekli Tepe was built uh, at the end, uh, or immediately after the end uh, of uh, the Younger Dryas, which was uh, a time of uh, cataclysms. Uh, um, now, there is a very strong uh, evidence uh, that a massive cometary impact, uh, or maybe even a couple of impacts, occurred both at the beginning and at the end of uh, the Younger Dryas. So uh, these people would have looked uh, at uh, the sky with uh, uh, significant concern about the possibility that these like very dramatic events uh, of the end of the last ice age could again uh, happen and could again like repeat themselves. So, in a in a way, they would have been looking at the sky, trying to find the signs of uh, the next uh, uh, cataclysm of 
the next uh, destruction. And there are many, uh, there is actually the suggestion that many of the representations uh, that we find on the pillars of Gobekli Tepe actually hint at uh, this idea of uh, uh, cosmic catastrophes or recurring cataclysm. Many of these uh, animal symbols, like the scorpion, for instance, uh, various figures of birds that we find on the on the pillars may actually be read astronomically as uh, some of the earliest representations of a constellation. So that what we have there may actually be uh, a sort of star chart or a representation of uh, celestial events uh, that occurred in the very remote past uh, at the end of the last ice age. That was something also very interesting that I wanted to um, to, uh, to stress about to go back Litepe is the fact that uh, um, also from from the point of view of cultural evolution, uh, go back Litepe literally upends that paradigm because the most sophisticated uh, stages uh, and layers of construction at go back Litepe are also the earliest. It's as if the builders of uh, go back Litepe got uh, then steadily worse at the art of temple building. Uh, that civilization appeared. Uh, almost all of a sudden, as if out of nowhere, with already a very perfected knowledge of astronomy, mathematics, uh, monumental architecture, and then over the following millennia, that knowledge uh, slowly uh, decayed and disappeared uh, to the point that uh, by the time of the site's abandonment, around 7500 BC, these people seemed unable to uh, erect the same type of monuments. The style and the technique of construction um, becomes uh, much more uh, simple, much more primitive uh, with the use of uh, smaller stone. Uh, the alignments are not as accurate. So you have to wonder, where did that knowledge come from? If that knowledge appeared uh, as if out of nowhere already uh, fully formed, uh, fully perfected, uh, uh, we're talking about time over 10,000 years ago, where did that knowledge come from? So there is almost a suggestion that the builders of Gobekli Tepe uh, may have come from somewhere else, bringing with them a more advanced culture and civilization, which they tried to transplant uh, in uh, that specific region of southeastern Turkey. But uh, uh, their efforts uh, uh, were clearly not uh, not successful if uh, the site uh, was then abandoned and for the following uh, 5,000 years, uh, nothing of that scaling complexity would again be built uh, probably nowhere else or anywhere else in the world. Just to rewind very slightly, you mentioned the, the younger Dryas mm -hmm. uh, boundary event. Just in case listeners don't know and they want to look it up, that's uh, Dryas, it's spelled D-R-Y-A-S, and that's the Younger Dryas Boundary Event. And that was something that was basically contested for a long time. Uh, people skeptical about the idea, or the ideas contained in that. But of course, uh, things have moved on a great deal uh, since then. In terms of um, potentially foreseeing or being concerned about some kind of cataclys cataclysmic event coming down the line, there's also uh, this profusion of underground um, constructions, mm -hmm. right. some of which are so big as to be called cities. You know, the thousands of people uh, would be able to live underground. Some of them are over multiple uh, stories, as it were. You know, they go down multiple levels, uh, you know, and it's incredible uh, work in itself. 
And now human beings are not naturally um, evolved to, to live underground. Um, it's not something that we're living in caves is one thing, but actually living beneath the earth mm-hmm. uh, is something that most of us find very unappealing. You know, we want to be out in the light and in the fresh air. Mm-hmm. So these constructions themselves are, are fascinating part of this overall picture is like, you know, what, what was it that caused these? And are they, these two can be found all over the world. Right, right. So uh, on, the, on the one hand, uh, as I say, there is, uh, uh, we found throughout the world many examples of these uh, underground cities. Uh, I think you're specifically referring to those uh, that are found in in Turkey. Uh, and there are many examples uh, there in Kuyu is one of the largest ones that goes down over 20 levels uh, below ground. There is uh, controversy as to the age uh, of many of these underground cities with certain researchers uh, claiming that uh, the the earliest, the lowest level may even date back to the end of the, of the last ice age. But certainly these were used uh, multiple times throughout history. I think of the, the idea, and we're, we're probably like lucky enough uh, to, to live uh, uh, at a time in history when our planet has not been hit by any major uh, cataclysm, but there is evidence from uh, uh, times past of uh, a number of truly catastrophic cataclysmic events in uh, the past of our planet. So uh, it makes sense for people that lived uh, through uh, these cataclysms uh, to uh, create uh, shelters or places where of, of refuge where they could take shelter if uh, another cataclysm of that kind would uh, uh, again uh, take place and uh, and before our planet. Uh, there are also many very interesting uh, tradition uh, around the world uh, of how humanity survived uh, through many similar cataclysms. Of course, uh, most of us will be familiar with uh, the biblical story of Noah and uh, and the Ark that talks about is a great deluge and how uh, Noah and his family managed to survive on this giant boat together with birds uh, uh, of animals and seeds. But we also find very similar myths uh, throughout the world. One of the most fascinating ones, uh, at least to me, is uh, the Persian myth. Uh, it's the Persian equivalent of uh, the flood story that describes uh, how the Persian flood hero called uh, Yima or Yamshed actually built a subterranean city. Uh, it goes as far as providing the specifications of how this subterranean city was built, with all its different levels, so what it contained uh, in terms of uh, um, people, in terms of the population of it, uh, how many like different species of animals and plants and seeds were stored in these uh, underground uh, city. And it suggests that people were somehow able to survive or withstand these devastating cataclysm by taking shelter underground uh, for a very long period of time until conditions on the surface allow them uh, once again to re-emerge and restart uh, civilization. What is particularly interesting about many of these accounts is that they, they suggest uh, also a level of technology, a level of sophistication, very far in advance of 
uh, what uh, we would be inclined to believe uh, existed uh, at that time, or talking about the time of 10,000 years ago. Even uh, the biblical description of Noah's Ark would actually uh, refer to some immense uh, uh, ship, or probably one of the largest uh, ships uh, ever built, truly comparable in size to uh, a modern aircraft carrier almost. So, so clearly something far beyond the capabilities of uh, primitive uh, uh, and sophisticated people. And also, if you look at many of these descriptions of these uh, uh, round cities uh, as in the Persian myth, assuming that these were real places, uh, this would suggest a level of sophistication of technological advancement uh, very far beyond uh, um, certainly what uh, we consider was available at the time and possibly even beyond uh, the uh, our, our present level of uh, technological development or hints uh, in, the, in the Persian myth even to uh, the use of artificial illumination, artificial light inside this underground city and the description of the specification, how they would have allowed the crops to grow uh, underground, which are all feats of science and engineering that uh, uh, have been uh, only only recently rediscovered, if at all. Yes, well, you mentioned that the, the deluge myths, the deluge stories are being global, you know, not just a, uh, a biblical tale. And prior to that, well, basically the idea of a global flood, and again, this ties in with the, with the Younger Dryas, you know, with the, the end of the Ice Age and... A sudden, again, possibly mm-hmm. because of a, a you know something uh, coming from off you know, beyond the Earth and impacting the Earth, the, the sudden melting of um, ice sheets and mm-hmm. so, sudden rise in sea level, and you know there's there's a lot of evidence for this, and this is said to be where these global deluge myths could come from. Now, the point of this being in questioning what civilization might have been like prior to that. People are talking about what evidence do we have? What's in the archaeological record? Uh, you know, what all we have are, are, are stories, you know, myths, you know, which a lot of people take to inherently mean something that's invented, but that's not really what the, the meaning of the word myth is mm-hmm. as such. So it's entirely imaginable, conceivable how evidence for advanced civilization prior to a global deluge could be almost completely lost. Um, right. just absolutely swept away and and not only then it was all the decay that would happen in the meantime i can't remember which book i was reading but it was talking about future archaeologists looking back mm-hmm. on on our time <laughs> yes maybe after some other sort of cataclysmic event or some huge earth changes that had wiped out um our civilization more or less and the question was where are all the coke bottles so mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea was being this was one of the most common things at one time produced by humanity was that classic Coca-Cola bottle, you know, that yeah. that shape, you know, which is still the most satisfying thing to drink Coke out of. This In this book, the author pointed out almost all of those uh, classic Coke bottles that have ever been produced are completely gone, mm-hmm. you know. And that, if that's meant to be, if you're thinking you're going to be digging up billions of Coke bottles as evidence for our civilization, well, almost all of them are already gone. And so no doubt there could be evidence depending on the nature of any future cataclysm. But of course, a, a global flood, you imagine something. I know mm-hmm. it's, it's a really cheesy, corny film and it's not actually 
very good, but, you know, Kevin Costner in Waterworld, you see, if you had that level of flooding, you know, on the earth for, for a, mm-hmm. you know, sustained for a long period of time, who knows what could be lost? That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>